You're fat. You can drink anyone. Maybe if you show a little bit of cleavage. Maybe you're acting too smart. You're a boss. I just don't understand why you don't have a boyfriend. I would marry you. You're a tequila lover. You're a party. party. You're the Chargers. I'm not going to be a fat. You Hey, all you catches, it's your favorite former single gal, Erin, who transformed in front of your eyes, got reeled in in front of your ears, and had an Oprah aha moment that changed everything. Ladies, before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love. You're tuned in to another episode of You're Such a Catch, a podcast dedicated to helping you realize the catch that you are. We don't have to be defined by a relationship status nor conform to societal norms. All we have to do is be ourselves. Last week, we kicked off season three with a bang when I shared I'm claiming more happiness into my life. I hope you made the commitment to yourself and added happiness to what you'd like to attract and receive more of. I recently had the opportunity to go to a marketing conference in Dallas. In my past life, anytime I traveled for work, I was in and out of hotel rooms, dealerships, and always on the go, whining and dining. This trip felt different. I was able to set the pace and embrace my surroundings. I watched my boyfriend crush's speech. He's a transformative speaker by trade. I even stepped outside of my own comfort zone and got behind the mic sharing some of my mindset practices with the audience. But the moment that I want to share happened on the way back to our hotel room. We were the only two people walking outside in Dallas during the on-again, off-again thunderstorms. On our stroll, as we reminisced about our day, my arm linked under his, his other hand holding my miniature travel umbrella over our heads, which wasn't fully protecting us from the rain, I couldn't help but smile big. This was living. I could have hid behind my fear and not spoken in front of a crowd. I could have gotten lost in my own thoughts, stressed about deadlines and my to-do list, but I didn't. I was present. I felt the rain trickling down and the wet earth beneath my feet. With a grateful heart, I was claiming more happiness into my life. And oh, it felt good. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Christy Katzman, host of the She's Unscripted podcast, former Bachelor contestant, and the lead from Fox's Labor of Love. Today, Christy is going to share her story as she claims self-worth. As you'll hear today, Christy is on a journey of self-reclamation. She's realized that she had lost herself somewhere along the way, trying to be the perfect woman, trying to live up to the standards and expectations of others. She's working towards embracing her authentic self and realizing that she is enough. Before we get to it, please make sure you've subscribed on whatever podcast player you tune in on. You aren't going to want to miss a thing this season. If you find this episode helpful, please share it on your Instagram or with a friend or someone who could benefit from the message. There's also a downloadable worksheet that corresponds with today's episode. If you want to follow along, take action and evoke change. Click on the link in the episode notes to download and print the form. Let's take it way, way back. So let's talk about the process of you being on The Bachelor. So what prompted you to want to apply and to be on? Oh my gosh, that is taking it way, way back. So you have to remember, I was in like old school Bachelor, right? This was pre-social media, Uh pre-traveling, pre-like super duper fantasy dates, so... The other side of that is 
it, I, I don't know if I want to say it was a little more real, but I, but I think it was, right? Because mm-hmm. I think people really were going on the show because they wanted to fall find in love. love. And yes, there was the fantasy element, but I think intentions were a little bit truer because you didn't have social media. And the show was certainly popular, but it wasn't Bachelor Nation, like what mm-hmm. it is today. So I will say I was 29 and I was probably a, a young, I was like one of the oldest ones on the show, which is kind of funny thinking about now, but I really had like Cinderella complex then. I really was looking for that fantasy, that happily ever after. So I really thought, hey, you know what? It didn't work out for me yet because I'm going to get the fairy tale. Ooh, and, yeah. and then so when I got cast to be on the show, I really did think like, this is it. Mm-hmm. And the whole experience for me didn't, didn't go how I had hoped. I, I have to say it wasn't a great experience and there's probably oh, different reasons for that. Uh-huh. I don't regret it by any means, but it's just really funny to think back on because it, it, it truly feels like a lifetime ago, even within Bachelor Nation, Right. It's an alternate universe, right? It's like original Bachelor. Did you know it was Brad when you had no. applied to be? No. No. Okay. So it would have been, I think there was only one more season after mine. So I was season 11 where we didn't know The Bachelor, right? Because there was no Bachelorette. The, oh, the right, The Bachelorette right, right. started because, yeah. yeah, it was actually my oh season my gosh, that we started The Bachelorette. Like, wow. Oh yes, my gosh. because when Brad didn't pick anyone, then they asked Diana to be The Bachelor. Lorette, it was funny when we were filming, I think someone asked like, oh, would you ever bring The Bachelorette back? Because they'd already kind of canceled it at that point. And I remember Mike Fleiss was like, we'll never bring The Bachelorette back. Yeah. <laughs> and look ours at us the now. Season, yes, ours was the season that brought The Bachelorette back. So so I remember that was like super exciting, actually, because we there was no context to who The Bachelor was. So when you were pulling up, you were truly meeting this person for the first time, Yeah, right? And did he encompass a lot of like, what you were looking for in that happily ever after? Like, was he truly like the Prince Charming you imagined? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. You know what? That sounds bad. And I don't mean to tell me. No, it's not what you had in your head. No, you know what? It's funny. Okay, so I should say yes and no. Because the truth is, I think Brad is very attractive. I think he's probably one of the best looking bachelors there ever have been. So I think I remember pulling up and be like, ooh, he's super hot for sure. As far as like connection and chemistry and just Mm -hmm. all the stuff that really matters, that wasn't there. I don't think there was the same depth there. But the truth is, I think what's crazy and maybe people do or don't know, I mean, there's more insight, I think, into how it is to film reality shows now. But I mean, I made it to the final six and I had barely ever had a conversation with Brad. To wow. go that yeah. far in the process and be like, I literally don't know this guy. Not to fast forward to Labor of Love, I can tell you that I was the freaking lead in that show and I barely had any conversations with the guys. I think that's for different reasons, but it's it's really wild how it plays out sometimes. You can go very far in these shows and really have spent very little time. Right. Yeah. With, with the actual lead. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting. I mean, it's just a whole other world. And I mean, I love reality TV, so I eat this all up because in my <laughs> mind, watching from my couch with my rosé and my little snacks, my my charcuterie board or whatever, I'm I'm just like, oh, this is this is all happening and it's all so real. And I don't think about like the setups and all the things that happen when the film isn't going. And I'm just like living it out as if it were real time really happening. And it's like, no, this was filmed months before. And also these things are kind of orchestrated to happen. And I'm like, oh, don't ruin it for me. It's like Disneyland. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of like Disneyland. But the truth is with The Bachelor in particular, 
you are seeing it pretty close to real time because usually it does air pretty quickly, right? So yeah. there isn't a huge lag in time. And I will say, like, even when you're on the show, and even me as the lead, so I can go for being a contestant to the lead, it's kind of the same. You're kind of in the dark. Okay. You don't know what's going on. And so even with, like, Labor of Love, not to jump ahead to that, but that that aired so much later than we filmed. Right. And then I'm seeing all this stuff for the first time. And, oh, and you're having to live it back again. Yeah. But most of it I would have never seen, right? Because you literally only know what happens in front of you. Right. Even as a lead, so lead or contestant. And of course, there's producers doing their thing. You will never know that. You will never know what happened even that didn't air. But but mm-hmm. even what airs, I was seeing that stuff for the first time along with everyone else. That's true wow. whether you're a contestant or whether you're the lead. You do not see anything ahead of time. You don't know anything that's happening outside of what happens in front of your face, which that is, gives let's me be real. Anxiety. Like, Total anxiety. Total anxiety. Did you watch it by yourself or did you watch it with like others when when you watched it for the first time? The Bachelor? No, no, no. Labor of Love. It was funny because it was during the pandemic, right? Which was yeah. really crazy. And I was in Austin mm-hmm. in an apartment by myself. I'd only been in Austin six months. I, I really certainly didn't know anyone well enough that I was going to be like, hey, come watch the show with me that I filmed a year ago. Mm. Hey, I'm Christy, by the way. Well, I mean, I feel like people would have been like, okay, I'm showing up. <laughs> like, what do I, I bring? No. Well, you know what? I have to say, like, I was so happy at that time that masks were a thing because I felt like right. Mm-hmm. I was kind of incognito. Yeah. But anyway, what I ended up doing was was going out to my sisters in Atlanta and quarantining with them. And I watched the first couple episodes with them. And then I ended up coming back to Chicago, watched some episodes with my family. And then the last two, I was by myself in Austin. And I kind of wanted it that way. There was a lot I was processing. Mm -hmm. A lot came Mm -hmm. out as the show was airing. I was having to like relive it. And new information was coming to light that quite honestly was very disturbing. I'm sure we'll get into all of that. So... I wanted that space to myself mm-hmm. to I don't process for everything. That. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think that's so very good that you were self-reflecting and you knew what you needed at the time. And so for the listeners out there, so Christy not only was on The Bachelor, but fast forward. I mean, so, and, and we have a chunk of time in the middle because you also oh, got yeah. married, right? It, I mean, mm-hmm. not on a show, but... <laughs> not on a show. <laughs> but I'm sure it was show worthy. <laughs> and well, that's what show we're talking about here. Right. I mean, and I don't know if you want to pass over that or if you want to touch on that a little bit, but I mean, I love that. I don't love that you're divorced, but I love that you're also a woman who's gone through a divorce and is thriving on the other side of that. And I think that's just what the world kind of needs to see because sometimes we have this negative connotation and people decide to stay in marriages that they shouldn't stay in. And so the fact that you were able to figure out like, okay, this is not the right situation for me, get out on the other side and then continue to live life. Like, and you're living your best life right now, which we'll get to also. But so then you get this opportunity to be on another show and you get another shot at love. And did you think that was going to be your happily ever after then? Not necessarily. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so there's like, I'm like, ah, oh, there's so many things I could say to Aaron. First of all, it's just really hilarious when I think about that I've been on two reality shows. And yes, there was quite a gap in between. I was 29 when I did The Bachelor. I was definitely a naive, give me the fairy tale. This is it. I'm going to get the whole big shebang and it's going to be this amazing fairy tale. It didn't happen, right? Mm. I never thought I would be on another reality show. It didn't even cross my mind. When I did Labor of Love, I was 41. I was 40 when we started casting. I was 41 when we filmed the show. 
I, the show didn't exist yet. So I didn't know what it was. I was approached to do it. And I did feel very aligned with it very early on. And I laugh at that because I'm, I'm just not a typical reality show contestant. Like I'm very real. I'm very genuine. That's why I sort of laughed at how did I end up on two reality right. shows? Now I did apply to The Bachelor. It was funny how I got on The Bachelor, just to give you that backstory. I did want to be on it. It was such a fantasy. I think everyone wanted to be on it. I think I, I had really fallen in love with the story when Travis Stork was The Bachelor. I was like, now that is like my dream man, Travis Stork. So when it rolled around, I remember they're doing casting in Chicago. And it's funny, I almost like missed it or something. I can't, I can't remember. Like I wanted to apply and then I couldn't find the casting. And then I was actually in Wrigleyville having brunch with a friend and I got approached by a casting agent because they were doing a casting call across the street, like at a, at a bar across from where we were having brunch and asked me to apply. And I was like, oh, I actually did apply. It was so wild. Oh my God. It was God. so, so wild. And so it was it's like, wow, like oh my gosh. It's like you manifested that. It's like, yeah, you put it out there in the universe and then boom. Wow. It really was. It was like crazy. I was like, oh, this is so weird. And then it just happened, right? With Labor of Love, it was a really long process. And I got approached by a lot of people to apply and I remember, like, finally then I submitted the casting application. And initially, I think they wanted the show to be all Chicago. It was going to be an all Chicago cast. Mm. Now, as it turned out, it didn't film in Chicago, it filmed in Atlanta. There was not anyone from Chicago except for me. So, you know, best laid plans, right? But I remember I submitted the application and, like, later that day got a call to do, like, a, a FaceTime interview. So that moved very quickly. And I felt very aligned with that show very early on because it was very much my life. And and for whatever reason, and I'm, if anything, I'm my biggest critic and biggest doubter, so to say, like I knew the show was mine. It's really crazy in my mind. Yeah. But I did. I knew the sh I knew it was my show. I knew I was, I didn't want to say show because it just felt like my life. And I felt like this is part of my journey. I'm meant to do this. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question, I think I went on truly knowing that it would be my last chance to connect with someone. If I did want to have a child with someone, dating had become extremely difficult. I felt as I was obviously running out of time, right? I was, mm -hmm. I was 40, 41. I, my biological clock was freaking screaming, right? Yeah. <laughs> so dating was very awkward all around. Uh, so when this came, came about, I was already entertaining the idea of trying to have a baby on my own. So I thought, well, this is perfect. This is meant to be. They assured me over and over again, they were really casting guys who were serious about this. They were casting men for me. So I really, really, and I do still feel this way. I felt given my circumstances, it was the best chance I had to connect with someone that I could match with and was in the same place as me. Mm -hmm. Now, what a lot of people made the assumption that isn't true is that I was just going to have a baby with some person I just met on a reality show. No, I do think you can meet someone and know that it's right and things can move very quickly. And if that had happened, sure. But it was always my plan to move forward with pursuing motherhood with or without someone. And if it was going to be with someone, I would have to be 100% sure that at a minimum, that person and I would have a good relationship and could co-parent a child mm -hmm. together, whether we stayed together or not. So I was hopeful that I would meet someone, but more than anything, it was a line in the sand for myself that, hey, this is your last shot. If you don't meet someone, that's it. Mm. You're going to start pursuing motherhood on your own. So it was just the end of the line. And 
truthfully, I think I, I still stand by. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it was a really great opportunity and it really was my best chance to try to connect with someone. And if nothing else, it just really, I don't want to say forced me, but it just was sort of like, that's it. There's no yeah. more monkeying around. Like you've mm-hmm. reached the end. So this well, is your, this is your fate. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like it was wonderful, I think for like someone like myself, who's in a very similar position to see like it unfold on TV, because these are real life issues. You know what I mean? Like when you're in your late thirties or early forties, like I'll be 40 really soon. These are things that come up. And when you are dating, you don't necessarily know, is that person ready to make those steps? Your conversation changes so much. It pivots crazily when you're at that age, because it's like, you don't have time. And you're still trying to like embrace the fun side of dating, which needs to be there. But at the same time too, you need to know, and you can't just trust an app because there's so many men out there who are 45 or older that want to have kids someday. You see the little baby bottle or whatever on the dating app and you're like, okay, he wants to have kids someday. And then you look at the age and you're like, well, what day is this? Like, when's, when's the day? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. are we waiting until our 50? Like, it's it's crazy, and it is a lot of pressure. So I do like the fact that you were kind of like a spokesperson for all of us and that you've carried kind of that role on. And, I mean, like you said, it's always been your goal to be a mom regardless if you met somebody on the show and it worked out or not. And I think that is just so beautiful because you're not giving up on your dream and we shouldn't have to if we don't get that piece of the puzzle. And who's not to say that you don't have this beautiful child and then meet somebody after, you know what I mean? Like this opportunity is still there. Do you still have that hope? I do. Yeah, I do. So I think two things I would say there is exactly what you said. True, true, true. Because for me, I thought you don't see a female lead in her 40s on shows like these. Mm -hmm. Why? So right off the bat, I wanted to show all the women I know are out there that are like me. Mm -hmm. I think there's a misperception on what it means to be in your late 30s, early 40s. I think there's a misperception of what it means if a woman finds herself single during that time or is thinking about pursuing motherhood on her own. And I can tell you, post-show, I've connected with so many women in the Single Mothers by Choice community And they are the bomb, okay? These are like some of the most incredible women I've ever met. And I'm like, gosh, people need to know about these women because I think there are a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions about who this pool of women is and why Mm -hmm. they're in the position that they are. So first and foremost, I really wanted to buck those stereotypes. I wanted to be that role model for women. And I think that's why I really went all in and... I mean, I don't know how to be anything other than authentic and genuinely me. And that might be why they picked me because I could see how the show could go a completely different direction depending on who the lead is. And I'm Mm -hmm. a Midwestern girl. I'm highly educated. I'm successful. I'm a nice person. So I think it was important to have that person in the lead so it didn't become sensationalized. Now, as we've said, like a lot of time has passed. I think so. I got off the show. I did several rounds of egg freezing right away. I was still Mm. with Kyle at that point, but things were never great between us. I didn't have a lot of hope that that was going to work out. So that relationship ran its course pretty quickly, but I had already gotten a job in Austin. I had already wanted to move anyway. Mm -hmm. It's funny. People think I moved to Austin because of Kyle, but we had already broken up. Oh, I totally thought that. We had already broken up. 
Yeah. We had prior to the show, I knew I wanted to move. I had this idea that I wanted, I just wanted a fresh start and I wanted to find a cool city that was smaller than Chicago, but still had a lot of things going for it. And when we filmed, I really fell in love with Austin. I had never been. And so I, I had found a great company to work for there and I had already just decided I was going to do that. So even when we broke up, it's like, didn't yeah. change my plans, right? But fast forward, obviously, I, I've been through a lot with the fertility. We can get into any of that that you want to. My last attempt at doing a frozen embryo transfer was in April and that got canceled right before the transfer because there was an issue. And then my dad passed away, passed away very quickly after that. So since then, like my wheels have just been spinning and I'm trying to figure out what's up and what's down mm -hmm. right now. But I still have my one healthy frozen embryo on ice. And it's funny because lately I've been thinking about that again. Like, and it, it kind of feels like maybe in the new year, I want to try to start that cycle again and see what happens. I think the truth is now I'm several years out, even from when I did my egg freezing. So as far as my own biological child, this is it. I've got this one chance. And so I think that makes me, and my doctor too, I think it's why we canceled that cycle. We're just extra cautious about everything being perfect sure. because I already had the one failed one, which I did right before the show aired. And I had five embryos actually. So I had 10 eggs thawed. I used to sperm donor mm -hmm. and I got actually five embryos out of that, which is really, really amazing. But, Can I ask you about the yeah. sperm donor? Like how mm -hmm. you decided um, who you were going to choose and what that process is like? I mean, it's a lot like dating, Erin. Really? It really is. And you, if you ask women who ultimately use a sperm donor, they will tell you the same thing. There's there's several really reputable sperm banks. People generally choose one of those. And then you you get a membership and you log on and you're looking at profiles. I mean, it is wow. like dating. I will say it's funny. I had people say to me like, oh, I'm super jealous. You get to like pick, pick your baby daddy. And I'm like, I know. And it's true. Like you can, there's parts of you that are going to be sad. I mean, I was sad. I always wanted to have a child with someone. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that story. So mm -hmm. then I think you make the decision. Not yet. Embrace, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> but truthfully, biologically, I probably won't have a child mm. with someone because chances of me doing healthy egg retrieval at this point, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm about to be 44. So questionable, right? But getting to kind of choose the father of your child based on concrete data is, mm. is kind of fun, but it is a lot like dating and in this was true for me. A lot of women I've talked to say the same thing. You kind of check all the boxes and then there's just one that you're like, he's it. He's really? the one. That's why I say it's like dating. You're only looking at like physical attributes or do you like get to actually speak to him to hear like his voice or find out anything about his background? Like, is it minimal yeah. information or? No, it's pretty good actually. I mean, so I will say most donors do not have an adult photo. Some people will only choose adult, oh. but you eliminate a lot of options that way because most men don't have an adult photo. You're just seeing baby photos. Mm -hmm. So I have only seen a baby photo of my donor. Donor, He's really freaking cute. Yeah. Super cutie pie. But looks wasn't the most important thing to me. I will say I did. So I have dark hair and green eyes and my donor does have dark hair and green eyes. I was trying to choose a donor that physically had some similarities to me. And, and that was because I thought if my child doesn't have a father present, I felt like it would be easier for them if they looked like me because there wasn't like questions off the bat. I, I don't know. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's actually really quite an intelligent way to go about it, right? That was the only reason because I can tell you when I when I date guys, they look nothing like me, but I just, because I would be the only 
you know, parent that yeah. I know of currently to be present. I just thought, okay, but that was not a, that was not a huge focus for me, but y- you get medical background on them and their family. They, what I actually found most helpful was they did a, an interview. So you actually get to hear their voice. So yeah. you mentioned that. And honestly, a lot of other women have told me this too, that really becomes mm. the deciding factor. It's crazy because it's not even so much specifically what their answers are, but you don't even realize, especially when you can't see someone hearing them speak, how they speak, how they engage with the interviewer. It's weird. It tells you a lot. And often other women I've talked to, that was a deciding factor out of several like finalists Mm -hmm. that they chose. Yeah, It was the interview where they heard their voice that actually made them say, oh my gosh, he's the one. But I really remember like, and I think I got the last vials of my donor. He'd actually think he'd only donated once. He'd been in the system for a while. (laughs) Which I was like, oh, that's so funny. My sperm's been on ice for like since like 2015. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but when I, I was in my apartment in Austin and I remember like scrolling through and like, I don't know how I'd missed him before, but when I when I saw his profile, I literally got up in my apartment and I was like, he's the one. I just like started screaming. My neighbors probably thought I was a complete nut job, <laughs> but I just was like so excited. And it was in that moment that I found him that I started moving forward with the actual IVF process. I had already mm. done the egg retrievals. But it was like go time from mm-hmm. then on. So so that's what I mean. There's a lot of similarities to dating, to be honest with you. It stirs up a lot of similar feelings and excitement. And you end up, yes, using concrete data, but it becomes intuition and chemistry and just, ooh, yeah, I think I think that's a good choice. It's really wild. I mean, you would never know that. I mean, who right. has this experience? There's nothing to base it on, but it's the truth. It, it feels a lot like dating. Dating. Oh, that's so <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. And is your family and your friends, your close-knit friends, are they super supportive of you going through this process? Yeah, they are. And it's so funny, I think, because my family's very open-minded. My friends are, and they're just supportive. So I actually remember when I was going through casting for Labor of Love and going in to meet the network. And I remember the head of Fox going to me, what are you going to do when people come at you with fire? And I literally looked at him like, huh? What are you talking about? He's like, well, this is controversial. I'm like, this is controversial? Like, I literally... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're like... Because mind blown, I was like... Oh, I was like, because to me, I know so many women like me. Mm-hmm. They're amazing women. They're great people. They have everything going for them. And and I, I think maybe this is like kind of a city folk thing. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they didn't meet the right person. And now they're up against the clock. And a lot of my friends are maybe five years older than I am. So they were super encouraging to me because they have a lot of sadness that they did miss their window. Not to say mm. that they couldn't adopt or... When they meet someone, that person might have kids, but they missed their window to have a chance to at least try to have a biological child. So they were mm-hmm. like, yes, do it. Go for it. Sure. It'll be amazing. But in my mind, maybe because they know me, but everyone I know is super open-minded and just thought, yeah, this this will be great. You have a chance. You can be a great example. You're going to get some support in going through this journey. They totally support me. Mm-hmm. They're like, we'll do whatever we can to help raise the baby yeah. and be part of the baby's life. So so yeah, it was really like a newsflash to me that people would come out with like guns a blazing. And oh, they did. They did. If I save did those really? DMs, I mean, it's enough to like, I can handle it. Okay. At this point in my life, I can personally take the heat. I don't take it. Per- I, I do not take it personally, but I will tell you, it really made me really sad for mm. humanity. Mm. It really, mm-hmm. really did. And I felt like I got that kind of hate and not the men. There's just that double standard that just mm-hmm. really 
rubs me the wrong way. People were just sliding in your DMs or they yeah. were emailing you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just kind of laughed. But it, it, when the moments that it got to me was just because it's frightening that there's that many people out there that think like that and then mm. would actually throw that hate at a person they don't even know no, who's right. really done nothing but be gracious and, you yeah. know, it's yeah. just scary. Well, so that got to me sometimes. I think that's interesting too. And forgive me for jumping a little bit around, but I do think there was an edit there because I think I even kind of caught myself in the edit where Stuart was presented kind of as America's sweetheart. And then when you didn't pick him, it was kind of like, well, how did she not see that? You know what I mean? But I think that was more editing than it was, you have to pick who you have the connection with. And we assume because we see this, you know, picture and we see him finding this home and you going through this home and and you kind of being like, oh, I can see my kids running down the stairs and all this. So you, you as a viewer get wrapped up into the, the fairy tale that you're talking about, the happily ever after. And we're like, Christy, why didn't you pick him? But we don't really know the behind the scenes. It's true. Well, I will say first of all, about those dates, the producer set everything up. So the guys are not (laughs) It's not their idea. Got it. It's not. Duly noted. Yeah. And I will say, and I can look and see now, but it's like, I think the producers also wanted to cast certain archetypes of men that different women would be like, he's the perfect guy. Now, I will say, like, on the show, I do totally get it. And really, my experience with Stuart on the show was very much that. He did Mm -hmm. and said everything perfectly. I kept wanting it to feel real, though. Oh. Um, and, and you also have to keep in mind, like, there's a lot happening all the time. I'm not privy to everything everyone has seen. It is crazy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I can say. It is crazy. And everything happens very quickly. So to be honest with you, the only person I ever really felt a connection with was Marcus. I was going to ask about that, but yes. man, that scene with his mother, I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> The crazy thing about that, I will tell you, is I know they, they kind of, it was weird. There was a lot of weirdness happening at that house. At that point, I already knew I was sending Marcus home. I actually wanted to send him home prior to hometowns, but they wouldn't let me okay. because they said it would be too confusing for the viewers. I'm totally spilling secrets. I'm sure yeah. I'm not supposed to, but who cares? I, it was right before that, I, I sort of started putting little nuances together and it wasn't even like one thing because remember, I wasn't seeing anything that was happening. Every interaction I had with Marcus was fantastic. He would mm-hmm. write me these letters. It was just going in, I think I had thought like, I'll have two or three pretty good connections And then one will work out. But the truth is, the only one that felt real to me ever was Marcus. So Mm -hmm. as we got right before the city dates, I started started putting things together and realized like he was just playing the game. I didn't know all the stuff that was going on, but Mm -hmm. I realized he was not being genuine. He wasn't who I thought he was. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I was devastated. I was really like, there's no point. Like, I don't want to go to city dates. I quickly turned it around and I was like, okay this isn't it. So what else is here for me? And I had enough of a relationship with Stuart and Kyle at that point that I thought there's still potential here. I'm going to go all in on these relationships the last few weeks and just see. But I think you hear me even say in the the family visit with my family, I say to my sister, I just thought if I'd pick someone at the end, I'd, I'd be more sure. That's how I felt. And going into the finale, I told the producers I didn't know if I wanted to pick someone. Like it Ooh, came that yeah, down yeah. to it. 
And there's part of me now that is like, gosh, I, I kind of wish I would have walked away alone and just told that story. But going in, I said, the only thing I would regret is walking away alone because you have to remember, it didn't mean I thought it was going to work out, but it truly was my last chance. And I, I mm-hmm. felt like I had to know for like 100% that I was meant to do this on my own. And so to me, that meant if there was an inkling of hope that I thought one of these relationships could work out, that I wanted to continue it after the show to see what was there. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Like watching this show, Stuart says and does all the right things. I mean, that was true when we were filming. I mean, and Stuart was a big, I don't want to say asset to me, but he he really was a good support to me during the show because a lot of times when things were just really, really freaking hard and it just seemed like all hope was lost, there was always Stuart there and he felt like really solid and reliable. My issue, like I said, and this turned out to be very, very true as things kind of came out after the show, but it never felt real. It never felt like it Mm -hmm. was about me. And I kept waiting for it to feel like it wasn't an act Mm -hmm. and it never didn't feel like an act. It Mm -hmm. never didn't feel fake. Yeah. Essentially. Mm -hmm. So. And great that you were able to trust your intuition and like listen to yourself because again, I, I try to put myself in your shoes, right? Like you were processing so much and you you had kind of set this goal for yourself and it was kind of like all my eggs are in this basket, like literally. And, literally, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's do or die time. And somehow still knowing all of that, you still were like so grounded and so in tune with yourself and also listening to your intuition and kind of like letting that guide you because also you can get swept up. It, it, like now that you're saying like the producers help the dates and stuff, I mean, like some of those dates are super fun and you can kind of get wrapped up into the romance of it all. And I mean, it, and I also want to ask, so were you guided at all? I mean, I know you, you mentioned keeping Marcus a little bit longer, but like when you sat there. And we also haven't talked about what it's like to work with Kristen Davis, because I mean, who doesn't (laughs) want to sit on a couch with Charlotte and like talk men, but it's just unbelievable that you stayed so true to yourself through this whole process. I mean, I commend you for that. Well, thanks, Erin. I mean, it's funny. I do think timing is everything because I I think about that now, like would I do it now? And I, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe that's just having gone through it. I don't regret it. I really feel like I have no regrets. Here's what I said going in. This is where I think doing The Bachelor first taught me a lot. I knew I just had to go all in and be as like present and true to myself as possible because I knew I was going to get messed with. I had no control over anything. There was no even, there's no season to watch of this show. And I will tell you, they really pitched the show to me even more as a dating show than mm-hmm. a baby show. Mm-hmm. And then to have an opening scene where we're making the guys go through a sperm analysis, like I didn't know that was going to happen. I I never knew anything that was going to happen. I was walking into every situation as blind as everyone else, except that everyone was looking at me like, oh, what's happening? I'm like, I have no freaking clue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure it out too. Well, it's so funny because as you're saying things, I'm just, it's jogging my memory back. And I'm like the whole thing, like the whole scenario, how it's played out for you is so... Oh, I know you're you're asking me like, if you're guided, no, you know what I will say, I will say you can always, here's what I'll say. And you guys can read between the lines. You can always keep who you want to keep. Mm. And there is no input into who you should keep. That is truly up to you. Now, who gets to go on what dates? No one else has control over that, right? That's all set up. But 
you really aren't fed information about anyone. It truly is just whatever experience you're having with each other. I could always keep who I wanted to keep. Yeah. And sometimes, truthfully, I wanted more information. I was like, can someone help me? Because I think part of being a first one show, I was freaking filming all the time. I don't even know how I made it through the eight weeks. So I think I was getting like two hours of sleep a night. There was like, I never got to work out. I was like a zombie. Looking back, I was like, how did I make it through that? And I, I know how I did because I believed in it so much. And I wanted to do the best job I could for other women. It was so important to me to represent other women well that it just like, I think I had adrenaline surging the whole time because I look back and I'm like, oh my God, the guys would have a lot of downtime because they were they were rarely on. But I was always filming. I mean, there's so much tape on the floor that never got used. I would like be getting up at 5 a.m. and going to sleep at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Wow. For eight weeks. I had two days off during that time. One was for like get all my hair and stuff done. And one, I think, was like a pickup filming day. So even then, I didn't really have time off. So if you really think about that, that's like seven to eight weeks with one day not not filming. I don't even know what life like that is is like. And you're kind of like, so you're really like isolated, right? Because you're in yes. the house all by yourself. And, and it, But you have your cell phone? No, oh no. Oh my gosh. No so, cell phone, no TV, no radio. I know music. I never had music. You know, the guys I found out they had their cell phones. Apparently, a lot of the guys were on dating apps. Excuse me? And still, yes. I found this out <sighs> the show, messaging women, talking to their family and friends. Like, I legit had nothing. And, and I didn't want it. I'll tell you, Erin, like, how do you get through it? That's how you put yourself in that vortex. I had to be in this vortex and I think it ultimately became such a big growth opportunity for me and even just like having more confidence because the only way to get through something like that is to be present second by second. Mm -hmm. And you're really physically, mentally being forced to do that or you wouldn't survive. And then the good thing about that was after doing that for seven, eight weeks, you've developed a habit around that and you get to take that with you afterwards, which has been really empowering Thinking about now, I'm like, yeah, how did I do it? I, I don't know. Right. Did did you journal like every day? I thought like... I would. And I'm such a journaler and I bought like a special journal. I had no time. You just literally you so exhausted. You. Yeah. I remember like I felt like my vocal cords had been like slit by the time I was done because there was not a time I was awake that someone was not talking to me. So think every day for like 22 hours, just talking, talking, mm-hmm. filming, talking. And I remember getting the show and I was just like, no one talked to me. Like, yeah. I, I just like <laughs> introverted. Wow. I was messed up. I remember filming pickups like the last couple of days and we were in Chicago. And so I'd picked Kyle at that point and he was there kind of just hanging out. And I remember my producer saying to Kyle, I overheard, he was like, she's, she's not okay. You need to know I've, every time I've seen it, she thinks she's okay right now. She's not. And mm-hmm. you need to take care of her. And I remember I was like, what? And I didn't know I wasn't okay, but looking back now, I was definitely not okay. And he yeah. definitely did not take care of me for the record. <laughs> so it's crazy. But I mean, the fact that he's saying that, it's just like they know what they know what they're putting you through. Mm-hmm. They know the distortion that you've now gone through. You don't because you've never lived it. They've seen it lived so right. many times. And he was a sweetheart. So, I mean, he was being... Right. He was trying to say like, she thinks she's fine. She's not. So you need to watch out for her. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's so wild. So I'm guessing if you were asked to be on another show, not necessarily a dating show, but the answer would probably be (laughs) no, because you're focused so much now on just this journey of motherhood and all of that. What if it was a motherhood spinoff? Yeah, I don't know. People ask me that and like, would you do it? And I was like, I don't know. It depends. I mean, right now I say no. And I think that goes back to 
it does make me laugh that I've been on two reality shows because I'm just not a real, I mean, I like watching reality shows. I, it's just funny. I don't think about that as, as being me, but it, it happened. But I think I've run my course with that. I think even with Labor of Love, it just, it, it wasn't a show to me. It, it just naturally really was part of my life, which is why I said, I said yes. And I thought there was an opportunity to tell a story of so many women that, that I know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I did it. I mean, I'm like 44 is around the corner. Like, I think I've just been there, done that. I'm just trying to live my best life. Never say never. I've learned that, but it's certainly (laughs) not on my radar anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And what do you think, you know, I have a lot of friends right now who are going through fertility issues and pursuing IVF and, and different things. Like, what's your advice to them to just kind of like, stay positive and kind of trust the process and just be open to the opportunity because I think it's really difficult. I had a friend on in season one who talked about coming out after her egg retrieval and you can hear like in other parts of the room or whatever, this is probably pre-COVID, but you can hear like the doctor telling the woman how many eggs they were able to retrieve. And so sometimes it's a high number. And then obviously sometimes you're overhearing a low number. And she said, it's just like devastating because you've gone through this massive process and then to only retrieve three eggs or sometimes even like seven seems like a low number. So what what's your kind of like advice or what gets you through each day? Yeah. Kind of? Yeah, I mean it's it's an important question and I think I don't it, that's a hard one for me to answer because the truth is I think I was very naive. I truly really thought that my biggest obstacle was just deciding that I was ready, which mm-hmm. if you think about the show kind of coming my way, that felt so serendipitous and it's like, okay, here's my line in the sand. And now my only decision is do I end up with someone or do I do I decide to do this on my own? And whatever happens it's just going to happen. Like I laugh at that now because it is such a journey. Things typically will not go smoothly, but I, in my heart, just really felt like it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. My journey did not go like that at all, right? I really did start this process right after I got off the show. So we were talking summer of 2019. Here we are going into the fall of 2021, and I'm still on the journey. So I, I think I would say for women to understand that it's a journey, but I hesitate a little bit when I say that because I don't think it's bad to go into something sort of naive and totally optimistic because until you have your, I I wouldn't say, I would say is be aware and do your research and take action. Okay. You can't ignore the facts, like get your testing done, know where you stand, talk to your doctors and create a plan. Okay. So do all of that. Maintain total optimism and happiness unless you need to do otherwise. I mean, that's (laughs) what I would say because it is a hard journey. I think if you get into it and there are struggles, which most likely there will be, I think that's where you then need to kind of stay, take a step back and understand that that is normal. That is more common than not. It's just that we never think it's going to be us, right? So I mm-hmm. think it's so easy then to start hitting snags and feel like, oh, why me? Why is this happening? But the truth is it's happening to the majority of women on this journey. So I think there's a reckoning. I think there's a reckoning that happens where you're like, oh, shoot, this isn't just going to happen. So it's like, now what? And the other thing I would say is I, in retrospect, was in the midst of a lot of change. And I was making a lot of change, trying to set myself up to be able to be the kind of mother I wanted to be as far as 
being financially secure, but wanting more time. And I did a lot of changes in there with the show and the show not airing for a year that, and then having it air. And I had to go through that all over again. And I had moved to Austin and then realized that was crazy because my family was here. And how was I going to have a baby on my own? And that's hard. Don't do that. I mean, that's why I say it's like, <laughs> don't do that. I think if, if you're at an age where time is ticking and you want to have a baby one way or another, that has to be your priority. I think mm. you just, you got to stick it out with everything else and let that stuff ride because you start changing everything. It's too much because then you hit snags and you just, you can't weather all of that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, know your priorities, try not to make other big changes, go in totally optimistic, be happy, be excited. Yes. Why not? And then just be willing to roll with the punches and take a step back and reevaluate if you need to. But you're not alone. I think that that's unfortunately the truth. And that's where it's great to connect with other women and hear their stories because it is helpful. And then I think it's also okay to be down. This year's been really, really hard for me. And I feel like I've been depressed a lot of this year. And that's okay. That's what I'm mm-hmm. going to say to other women. That's okay. I know it's easy to look at parts of my story and think, well, it's so cool. And she did this and that's all me. And that is true. But what is also true is me getting depressed about it, me taking a break, me feeling really beaten down and sad about it. That's part of it too. And I'm kind of coming back up on the other side of it now where I'm feeling hopeful and baby's on the brain again. And I feel excited. It's a wave. It's a ride. It's a journey. And the last thing I will say about that, and this is something I think I've done very well, For as type A and planned and controlled as I have been since I was a freaking kindergartner, (laughs) I have like learned to roll with the punches more now because of all of this. And Mm. I think something I'm very good at is thinking outside the box, being open to a different story. More and more, I'm open to a different story and a different story and a different story and a new door and a new Mm -hmm. window. And I've now applied that to having a baby. So I thought I was thinking outside the box by going on a new reality show and potentially meeting someone to have a baby with or moving forward, having a baby on my own. That felt outside of the box. Well, guess what? I know that box now. Now I have to think outside the box again. If this doesn't work, if this one embryo doesn't take, what am I going to do? And I think I try not to plan too far ahead. And I think that's other advice I'd give on this journey because you could just drive yourself crazy because it's so hard. There is no standard course. There is no standard result. It's truly yours and you don't know until it unfolds. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. So what I do know is that I'm willing to continue to think outside the box to still have this part of my life, what that looks like. I think coming off the show, when I realized I was going to do this on my own, I really had this vision that I would have the baby on my own. I would meet someone who probably at least had a child from a previous relationship And then we would maybe adopt a baby together. And I thought, oh, this would be such a cool blended modern family. Like, I just really love that idea. I don't know what it looks like now. I really don't. But what I do know is I could find another box to open. I think. (laughs) Which I think is amazing. And I think that's the theme of season three for You're Such a Catch. It's like, what do you want to claim? And I think that's so huge because it's like there could be some additional hurdles, but you're like, okay, when one door, you know, shuts, another one opens and I just have to be ready to pivot. And I think that's what I hear you saying. And I also love that you're saying it's okay to kind of like hone in on your feelings and feel those emotions because there are, you know, highs and lows of the process. Like it's not all going to be rainbows and and daffodils. And and I think that's good. And and I think it's, it's so nice for you to give yourself permission 
to feel that. And I, I also think like how amazing when you have this child, like this child is going to be able to see like this journey and all you did to get to this point, to bring them into the world. And oh my gosh, like I, I I can't even, you know what I mean? Like that is going to be such a beautiful moment when you're able to articulate and have a conversation. I just think that's, there's something so fabulous about that. And I'm sure you're just giving so many women hope out there. You're giving me hope. I think about my own situation now. I didn't freeze my eggs, right? And I have always, I've always known I've wanted to be a mom. I think that is something that's just ingrained in you at a young age and it and it sticks with you. And I think that's been hard because you pivot out of college and or whatever your path is and you go straight to the career and you're trying to climb the corporate ladder and depending on where your focus is, you're, you're maybe dating or maybe you have a starter marriage like we did. And just these things that, like you said, it's not necessarily kind of how you envisioned it, but like you had to start thinking outside the box and kind of reinvent yourself. And I think I spend a lot of time really hoping I wouldn't make the same mistakes that I made in my first marriage. And I've shared a lot of that on this podcast. Now I'm in a relationship, but I'm also relearning like there's still no guarantee guarantees. Like everything is fabulous. But when you really start to have these conversations about starting a family, it impacts so much. I mean, even just bringing two people who have been independent for so long into a relationship. Speaking of reality shows, I watch Married at First Sight all the time. Yes, I love that show. Right? Oh my gosh, the season <laughs> is so good. Like I'm, a, I'm more obsessed than I think I've ever been, and I don't, I don't know why. I just really feel connected with the cast and and just the the more so the process. I don't know why, but I I feel like they're totally redeeming themselves after what happened. Yeah, during... there's been some rough seasons. Oh, there's been some great seasons and some rough, <laughs> some rough seasons. seasons. Oh, but one thing I love about the show too is having that guidance from the ex. Experts, and I almost watch it and kind of take notes like, okay, because they come at the situation from such a funny perspective. It's like all of a sudden you're thrown together. Now you're, you go on a honeymoon after meeting somebody. Then, so you're sleeping in the same bed. You're deciding if you're going to take the next step with intimacy, whatever, have sex. Then you come back, you move into an apartment and you're blending your lives together. And then like to th- throw kids, but it, that's how it kind of all works. It just, there it happens so fast and insanely that all these things kind of triggers and things come up from people's past relationships. And then, but they have these experts to work through. So I'm like, okay, seek guidance, figure these things out and kind of communication solves everything. But like, even being in a relationship now, I still kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, Ooh, you didn't freeze your eggs. So I think what I've come to terms with, because my mom and I have had this discussion quite a bit as well, is if I didn't meet somebody, would I still be happy? Would I still be able to go through life and like reflect back and go, you lived a great life and you were happy and with how things unfolded. And I'm like, yes, mom, like I I truly believe that. Like I, I do, you know what I mean? Because I think that happiness is a choice and I think it does start with us. It truly starts from within. And then she rephrases and says, well, Aaron, if you get through life and you don't have the opportunity to be a mom, like a biological mom, like, are you going to be okay? And it's like, okay, deep breath. Like the answer is yes, because there's so many children out there who need homes and adoption is a great option and all these things. So I think exactly what you said, 
depending on your box, maybe you got to think outside of a new box and pivot, but you got to just keep flowing because in, in sometimes the story that we want for ourselves may not be as beautiful as the one the universe has for us. I mean, I'm even thinking like having a bird's eye view into your journey, like think about that. Like you're sharing that with the world, like through your platform, through your podcast, like who knows, maybe you're going to write a book one day, like all of these things, right? I mean, that's beautiful and that can be your legacy and you can pass that down. I relate to so much of that. I think just the last thing you said, just not getting the story you wanted truly is sometimes the biggest blessing. I can tell you that even going into labor of love, there at that point in my life, I think I still wanted the relationship more. I felt like, oh, I know I can have the baby, which, you know, is kind of like, ha 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 now. It's not that simple. But what's interesting is going through this the last couple of years, like I really haven't been interested in dating. I've been very focused on the baby and now it's kind of pivoted into this reclamation of self. And not that I'm definitely not a disingenuous person. I think I'm very authentic, but I think I've done a lot of shoulds in my life and I've done what I thought you should to be successful or to be a good girl or to be enough. And some of that I think is why I'm in the position I am in now. So it's interesting. I'm in this place where I do want to meet someone and I I really truly want a great partnership and, and want that in my life. But that used to be such a like windshield for me, right? And it's like mm-hmm. it's like a rear view mirror now. I'm like, yeah, it's there, it'll happen. And that's that's different. That's a shift for me. It, it I think was such a front of the mind thing for me for so long, and it led me down some not so great roads where like becoming a mother has become more of the, in the forefront now, but even more than that is what I just started with that sort of reclamation of self and really peeling back the layers and understanding who I am and what I want. So I can attract those things into my life, Mm -hmm. like really trying to fall in love with myself. I want that for my child more than anything, whatever that child is to me, wherever that child comes from, I feel like that's really good motivation to do that. But at the end of the day, like, I do think you really have to want to do that for yourself. For Mm -hmm. me, this is how I got there. It took a lot of hard knocks. I'm really freaking stubborn. I'm really resilient. I am stubborn. So if I think, no, this is how it's going to be, the universe has to really knock me down Mm -hmm. to like Mm -hmm. get the message across. So I feel like interestingly, the way things have worked out, maybe having a relationship didn't work out, having a marriage, which in retrospect, I felt the biological clock was really ticking then. And I look, I'm like, gosh, I was 35, 36. I had time, but I was so rushed. I rushed into a situation with a narcissist, but a a narcissist who was pretending to be the nice guy. And I'm so horrified when I look back on that situation, because even if he had turned out to be the nice guy, I didn't even know this guy. It's so crazy Mm. to me. I'm like, how did I get sucked into that? It's because I had peaked in my career. I was really successful. I had everything else. And I was really, really wanting to be married and start a family. And so if you would have asked me at the time, I did not feel like I was rushing. I, I really didn't. Looking back now, I'm like, oh, heck yeah. Why didn't someone stop me? Even if he had turned out to be a good guy, it's crazy, but that's what I wanted. It was like the last puzzle piece that was missing. And I thought I was running out of time. So, you know, it's interesting. Now, what I will say is, because he truly was narcissist. I mean, there was a major personality disorder there. It was an unsafe situation. I got out quickly. That was devastating in a lot of ways. And that's, I think, I would say it broke me, but I feel like there was there was things that still broke after that. I thought mm. I was at the bottom then and things still happened, but 
the beauty of that is I think the last five years then I've been on this journey of self-reclamation, right? And it's, I've had to keep peeling back the layers. And I think it took going through labor of love and everything that happened there. It took going through the fertility process and things not going how I thought to really get to this place that I'm like, well, now what? And the only place left to go, because I really felt like I was out of ideas, was inside. And we all know that's what you have to do, but it's it's funny. You can say you're doing it, but are you really? Because I guarantee if things are not working out, you're not. So uh, you're you know, like all you- <laughs> so preaching like my message because that has been that has been my life the last two years. Everything I thought I was like, what dating coach do I need to listen to? What relationship book do I need to read? What do I need to be doing outside of myself? To like, do I need to move to meet somebody? Like. What are these things that I'm not doing when the whole time what I needed to do was really hone in and be like, okay, who's Aaron? What is Aaron like? Is Aaron in touch with her feelings? Has Aaron overcome her trauma? Is has Aaron healed? Is Aaron ready to receive? Like there were all these little things that I just it was just like over my head. And I'm yeah. and I'm thinking it's all out here. And no, 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 no. It was all right here. And you hit the nail on the head when you said, we think we're doing it. <laughs> But it's like when people say self-care and you're talking about not like putting cucumbers on your eyes and a face mask (laughs) and your fuzzy bunny slippers. No, no, no. This is like taking time to get off technology and meditate and close your eyes. I mean, think about it. Like when you close your eyes and you really like just quiet it down, like you'll hear a message. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't do that. And I will say like as horrible Mm -hmm. as the pandemic has been, it did force everyone to slow down. I mean, it's, it's had a lot of obviously horrible and negative consequences and even too much aloneness. But I, but I will say there's things that I want to do differently coming out of this. Like there's things I want to keep, like the going inside, the slowing down, the not living by the shoulds, because we really couldn't, right? Suddenly we couldn't be busy. We couldn't be out distracting. I mean, for all of us too that live in city and city life is, is fun and it's fancy and it's busy. And it's so easy to be on that high and think you're doing the work, but but you're really not. Mm -hmm. So... It's crazy, but I think it's not so obvious though. Like we were saying, I think it's so easy to say and be like, well, yeah, of course you have to do that. But I think so many of us, we think we are and we're not. Mm-hmm. And it's only kind of when you start to get to the other side that you realize that you you weren't. And so I think that's okay. But I also think it's like weird. You can't rush it. No. You can, boy, do I wish I would have got it earlier. Girl, I wish <laughs> I would have got it earlier. But this is my journey. So right. here we are. Yeah. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm in a position where I feel like I have my life experience to Mm -hmm. take me the places I want to be. I don't regret things I've achieved or experiences I've had, but boy, did I not think I would be on the verge of turning 44 in a lot of ways feeling like I'm starting over. I do have sadness about that, but I also have a lot of hope about it because I think, oh my gosh, I'm finally getting there. Yeah. I'm getting to like the real authentic me and I'm putting that out there. And again, let's say I'm a very genuine person. No one would ever say anything other than that, but I think I've I felt I had to live to be perfect and only like let that exterior be shown. And that's what I put out there in my professional life. And there's a melding of those worlds to me now where I'm just trying to be me. I'm just trying to be okay being me, not who I should be or what I need to do to be liked or popular or successful or whatever. And it's an interesting journey to be going through at this age. (laughs) It really is. Right. And I don't want to say like, I'm not going to totally change my life. It's not like things I've done are not me. But there, there are a lot of things that I want to be different. So 
I'm on this like reclamation journey. And, and that's what my whole next season of the podcast is going to be about, by the way, Erin. It's all about reclamation of self. Yes. It's not about reinvention. It's about reclaiming who you always have mm-hmm. been. Mm-hmm. But you lost somewhere along the way of trying to be the perfect woman, right? Ooh, trying to live up yeah. to standards and expectations and be good enough and have the mm-hmm. perfect life and get everything that you want or you think you want because you've been told you should want. It's in there. So it's a reclamation to rediscover the authentic you and put that gold out into the world because that's mm. what you're here to do. Oh my gosh, I so. love it. And where can people find your podcast and also follow you on your journey? Yeah, well, you can always, the best thing to do is follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active at Christy Katzman. I'm going to announce it here, Erin, because I'm rebranding the podcast right now. It's on all outlets as the Life Unscripted podcast. My season one was all about the single mother by choice journey. I have some really incredible women on that season. So you should definitely check that out. But I am rebranding to She's Unscripted is the new title. Love it. Obsessed. But it's going to be the same. It'll be the same podcast, just different names. So anywhere that you listen, you can find it. It's going to go live October 1st. So we've got a little bit of time. But if you follow me at Christy Katzman, I will be announcing all of that good stuff there. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I just adore you. I feel so aligned with you. (laughs) Well, I know, Erin, I told you because we have Erin Hill as a mutual friend and she's another podcaster. And I heard you on her podcast and I was like, who is this Erin Ramsey and why aren't we best friends? (laughs) Y'all, I I stalked Erin. I I, I DM'd her and said, let's talk. hook, line, and sinker. I'm going to cast some questions Christy's way, and she's going to rummage through her tackle box for the answers. Hook us up with your best relationship advice. I mean, my best relationship advice, I would say it's beyond just being yourself, because people will say, oh, be yourself. I would say, truly know yourself. You're wasting your time out there dating if you're truly looking for something exceptional, if you don't know yourself. And I think that's why I'm really on this reclamation of self journey, because I think that's why it hasn't worked out for me. So my best advice is truly know yourself. Mm. And I would put the tangent there because I just did this with our Erin Hill, by the way. I actually did create my unicorn list of what I'm looking for in a partner. And I feel like that list is fire. I can tell you, Erin, I think in the past I didn't actually, and I'm such a person that is like self-help and reads things and does therapy and does all the things, but I would have never made a list. I never do the exercises from those courses. And it's because I would panic because I didn't know my real answer. And I felt like I was just saying things that that weren't true. So for me to be able to go through this exercise with Aaron and create a list and know what I wanted, this is huge. So that's why I say really know yourself because you have to know yourself to know what you want and then write the freaking list. Okay, write it down, write it down, put it out there. Otherwise, you don't know what you're looking for. The universe cannot deliver this perfect match for you. What's the cringiest pickup line someone's used on you? Okay, so I had to think about this one. What's the cringiest pickup line someone's used on me? Honestly, I'm laughing so hard because I think I have blocked these things out, but it kind of all came flooding back to me that for many, many years after I did The Bachelor, multiple men would ask me out by asking me if I would accept this rose. Ugh, it makes my cells cringe just as I say it still. So that's 
my cringiest pickup line. There you have it. What's something that you're going to let go of that might be holding you back from claiming what you want? Yeah, I think what is holding me back, I think it's everything we've been talking about. And that's why I think I'm talking about it so easily because I'm in the thick of working through this stuff. But what's held me back is trying to live up to perceived expectations, trying to win love, trying to be enough in a very achievement-oriented way without ever slowing down or stopping to ask myself who I really am and what I want and then holding other people accountable to have entrance into my life. So I'm letting go of expectations and all the shoulds and I'm embracing authenticity and self-discovery and really putting that person, the real me, out into the world and that includes dating. I was definitely the girl that went out there and made every date easy and fun and oh gosh, they just wanted to go out with me more and it's all gonna be great. And then guess what? The minute like I'm having a bad day or I need something, it fell apart and I would wonder, well, what happened? Because I was filling that void for them and everything was great because I was great. And the minute I was a real person, it fell apart and it was devastating for me. So I think that applies beyond dating. Thank you so much for joining Christy and me for this conversation about claiming self-worth. This topic is applicable to all of us. I know I relate to so much of what Christy shared. Here are a few of my key takeaways. There's a misperception of what it means to be a woman in her late 30s or early 40s and be single or pursuing motherhood on her own. Ignore the stereotypes and continue to embrace your journey. Two, if you're at an age where your biological clock is ticking and you know you want to have a baby... That has to be your priority. Three, when you feel like you've exhausted all avenues, think outside the box. Open another box, but don't give up. Four, it's okay to have sadness around a situation or a circumstance in your life, but don't ever lose hope. And lastly, on your journey to claiming self-worth, you don't need to reinvent yourself, but rather reclaim who you've always been, but lost along the way. If you dug this and want to hear more of our juicy conversation, Chrissy and I continue chatting on YSC Unfiltered. Stay tuned for next week's convo with Gabby Conti, Hollywire host, author of 20 Guys You Date in Your 20s, and contributing writer for Cosmo. You won't want to miss what she's claiming as hers. And ladies, I said it once and I'll say it again. Before we can reel in the catch of a lifetime, we must first bait the hook with self-love.